0: The Peace Catalyst Podcast, where we share stories to inspire, uplift, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Pugh, and I'm a program director with Peace Catalysts here in the Washington D.C. area. And of course, as always, joined by my co-host Keith Giles.
1: Yeah, uh, my name is Keith Giles. I'm also working with Peace Catalyst International. My wife and I, Wendy, work with them here in El Paso, Texas, working to bring Muslims and Christians together. And. Um, Yeah, really excited for this podcast. We have a lot of great stuff that we want to cover. Um, But real quick, I want to say, if you enjoy listening to the Peace Catalyst podcast, would you please do us a favor, take some time to rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps boost our visibility, and it encourages others to give us a listen as well. So thank you so much for doing that. And we have uh, our Peace Quote of the Week, and um, this is one of my favorite quotes, actually. So this uh, Peace Quote of the Week is from one of my favorite authors. Her name is Anne Lamott. And her quote is this. You can safely assume that you have created God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. Mm. Yeah. So good. That one is very true. And it makes you think. I mean, the first time I read that quote, it does make you stop and think, yeah, wait a minute. Um, What about these people that I don't like, right? Mm -hmm. Don't Don't we believe that? uh, God so loved the world and God, God's love is, uh, for everyone, even people that aren't like me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a, it's a really good quote because it kind of shocks you, but it also gets you to stop and kind of rethink that the list of people you have that you don't like and, uh, recognizing that we're called to love everyone and that God already loves everyone. Yes. So, yeah.
0: That's so good. And it's, uh, my question though is like, Because I I wonder if we're in that space, that headspace of like creating God in our own image, and you know, having hatred or dislike towards certain group of people. It's like, how do we get that shock factor to like wake us up? You know, because sometimes, um, yeah, we might not want we might not we might not want to see that kind of um, hypocrisy in ourselves. But Yeah. yeah, I think even just. Sharing a quote like this maybe could do it. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I,
1: I I had a similar, uh, probably riffing off of her quote um, that uh, was almost kind of like an addition to that was like something like um, God loves all the people you hate and He wants you to love them too. And it really mm-hmm. begs the question too, like why, why, why are there people we hate? Right. I mean, right. That's kind of the problem that we hate yeah. anybody. Um, mm-hmm. right. So yeah.
0: God doesn't hate anybody. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. And we shouldn't either.
0: So good. And... So fitting, I think, for um, the series that we're in where we're interviewing Christian peacemakers who are pursuing shalom in their communities and walking out their peacemaking journey informed by their faith in Jesus, the God who loves everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and these conversations are so powerful because they help us to understand how we can change the world around us ourselves and become better peacemakers, too. So really excited to be um Yeah, talking to all these different peacemakers.
1: Yeah, and we've had some such great conversations already in this series. Uh, I've really been loving it. A lot more coming up. And in today's episode, uh, this was a really, really uh, interesting conversation. Um, So we're interviewing in this episode Rachel Pye-Jones. She is a Christian peacemaker based in Djibouti. And um, she's the author of several books, including her most recent one called Pillars. How Muslim Friends Led Me Closer to Jesus. And so uh, let's see what she has to say.
0: Rachel. It's so great to have you here with us today. And um, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? You have a new book out called Pillars, How Muslim Friends Led Me Closer to Jesus. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that and kind of your journey in, in writing that book?
2: Sure. So Pillars is the story of how 18 years in the Horn of Africa overturned everything that I thought I knew and understood about life and faith. And so this book is a story of all those 18 years. Um, I write about how everything from baby showers to death threats, wedding celebrations to assassinations, um, exploring Islamic practice and wrestling with my own faith and doubts through all that stuff, I was really forced to dig deeper into my own Christian spiritual roots and uncovered this, this really profound sense of belonging and what I even now understand as what is a more robust and less dogmatic faith than what I had kind of brought with me originally to the Horn of Africa. So I'm from Minnesota originally, but in 2003, my family, my husband and I and our two-year-old twins moved to Somaliland, which is a northern part of Somalia. And my husband was a professor there, and we intended to stay there for several years. But after less than one year, because of some violence in the region, we had to Evacuate. We ended up resettling across the border in Djibouti, where I am still living today and am there right now. And um, we're still involved in education. But all those years of being a Minnesotan, a Christian, American, you know, but now I'm surrounded by Somali Muslims really transformed um, how I think about faith, my own faith and how I live my life. And and so yeah, the book is is that story. Wow.
1: So, uh, Rachel, I'm, I'm curious if you can give us a little bit of, um, like you said, that these experiences, which sound amazing <laughs> um, and, um, and and phenomenal, um, what what were some of your assumptions that, uh, that you had initially that these experiences helped you to kind of reconsider in terms of your faith and the way you saw yourself and others and things like that?
2: All kinds of assumptions. I had so many. I don't know that I could have articulated it that many years ago when we first came here. But, but now looking back, I can see them pretty clearly. And one of the major ones that I brought with me was this assumption that everybody else is other. Everybody else is different than Uh. me and not me, not one of kind of my people, which in a sense is true. They were very different from myself. Um, You know, I was moving from the city to a rural village all these things about being a Christian versus being a Muslim, American, Somali, you know, I was, they were others and I was other to them, but, but it was kind of a way of building up this barrier between us instead of seeing them as people of faith or as people, um, you know, focusing on developing their family and building their nation. Somaliland was, this is still a breakaway Republic from Southern Somalia and they're really developing in terms of peace and education. And, and so, I had just sort of set myself apart in a lot of ways. And so that assumption that um, that I was kind of the normal person, if that makes sense, and everybody else was <laughs> yes. different, uh, obviously that got completely overturned when I became clearly the different person. And, um, and I realized that a lot of the ways, a lot of the language that I use around faith is in a sense negating other people. So in my Christian experience, I talk about Christians and non-Christians, or believers and unbelievers. And so everybody who wasn't me was this sort of not something, if that makes sense. And then yeah. I became yeah. the not something. So I would walk through the town, even still today when people see me, sometimes one of the words they use to refer to a white foreigner is infidel. In Somali, it's Golo, But So that people would just call out, hey, infidel, <laughs> infidel. And, you know, I'm realizing like, oh, I'm, I'm now the other person, but I don't feel like an infidel. I feel like a person with a really deep faith that matters to me. It's one of the most foundational things about me. And so it was very jarring and almost offensive in a way. And then, of course, I realized that's how I was referring to other people as, as something negative or not, you know, not a person of faith, not a person that I could engage with. And so that, assumption as it got overturned and flipped upside down was really um really foundational in forming my way of living here as the other person um to try to explain to people you know i'm not an infidel i'm a person of faith i had to also respect them as being people of faith and being able to see you know where they were coming from yeah
1: yeah that's so fascinating rachel it's um yeah, I like and I like that thing too you said there at the end. It's like you know, not only you convincing them that you're a person of faith, but at the same time acknowledging that they are people of faith as well, and that you're that you have faith like mm-hmm. them, uh, in God. And yeah, that's really interesting. I can imagine. I, I think you know, as I'm hearing you tell it, your experience uh, being an American Christian in this Muslim land. Uh, you could probably empathize maybe now with how Muslims feel when they come to America, right? It's, it's almost the exact same thing, but mm-hmm. uh, turned inside yeah, out. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And so we have to be able to recognize people from how they define themselves. You know, a Muslim defines themselves as a person of faith, as a person of prayer and fasting and respect for their holy books. And so if I want to really engage on any kind of authentic relational level, I have to be willing to acknowledge their sincerity from their own perspective. And then we can talk, you know, instead of me insisting that, no, I'm going to continue to define you the way that I see you. That's just not respectful. And it's not even true because our lenses are so fogged up through our own cultural experiences and backgrounds. Right. Yeah.
0: That's so true. Rachel, I'm curious, like in your friendships with Muslims there, what, what have you come to really like love and admire about about their faith or even just about them as people?
2: Okay. <laughs> I have been so welcomed by Somalis. You know, it's it's hard to love the foreigner. It's hard to love the person who speaks with an accent and eats different food and doesn't know how to wear the clothing without having it, you know, my headscarf would fall off in Somalia. You know, and so, so to love the person who's different and kind of fumbling around culturally is really a challenge. And so the people that welcomed me warmly and who sort of took me under their wing and shepherded me into culture and into how to cook here and how to, you know, go to the market and how to help my kids transition. They just were so um, immediate and warm with their welcome. And, and they have great senses of humor. I think I've just been really, I'm really thankful that the women in particular who have been around me are quick to laugh. And even at themselves and at me mostly <laughs> at my fumbling mistakes, but but that ability to laugh and make a joke of things that could sometimes be really challenging or scary, even um, I'm really thankful for that. So that's my specific friends. In terms of things that I've really loved that I see about their faith, one of the aspects that's really different here to my experience in the U.S. is the communal nature of faith. And so when Somalis are fasting. They are very vocal about it. They're community-oriented about it. So they'll encourage each other. They'll say, hey, are you fasting today? How is it going? Are you tired? Are you you know, thirsty? What are you doing to not think about those things? And then at the end of the day, after the fast, so you know during Ramadan, which is coming up in April, at the end of the fast, they all gather together in family groups or neighborhood groups, or sometimes a workplace will host a gathering. And they'll break the fast together and celebrate feasting together. And so that aspect of community practice of faith, I think, is really beautiful. And so it plays out in other ways, too, in terms of prayer. The Hajj is obviously a massive community event when they go on pilgrimage to Mecca. Um, And so my own faith has been very individualistic. And so part of that is cultural. Part of that is my evangelical background of you know, we take things that Jesus would say, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Or when you pray, go into your your room, you know, and the Lord, God will see you, what you do in secret. But there's other places in scripture that talk about corporate fasting. You know, Esther called the whole town to fast for three days. Mm-hmm. And so there is definitely um, merit in corporately practicing our faith as well as individually practicing it so one of the things I've come to appreciate is sort of holding both of those things um, and recognizing the the value and the beauty in corporately talking about our spiritual practices and doing them together even as well as really valuing my my personal faith yeah that's beautiful yeah
1: that's wonderful yeah it is fascinating <clears throat> you know when you spend time um, as you were saying you know you you initially, have this feeling that, um, that, you know, these Muslim people are other than you. And then what you discover is that actually there, there's so many things you have in common with them. And I think is that's such a, it's a it's such a key thing. Um, and then, um, and then also then recognizing there's so much actually we can learn from them. Like, as you just were saying, you know, there's so many things that they do in their, the way they care for one another, the, the communal nature of the way, you know, they, they uh, are concerned with one another and mm-hmm. they're in their practicing of their faith and their fasting and things mm-hmm. like that. And um, that's beautiful. I think that is very helpful because uh, otherwise, yeah, we, we, we tend to come into situations like that, assuming uh, we have all the answers uh, that something's broken with them. We're, we're there to fix it and mm-hmm. rather than coming in, in a place of humility and saying, well, I, there's a whole lot I could learn from them. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'd like to clarify, or just, I think, add some depth to that too, in that I don't mean that we're all the same in terms of, um, oh, you know, Muslims and Christians are all just raising families and trying to do our work. I don't want to minimize the things that are different, you know, but but what I do mean is that there's, there's value in connecting. And like you said, learning from each other and being open to what I can learn from the other person's experience. Um, but yeah, I I think at the same time, it's important to recognize that there are differences, you know, and sometimes we can try to dumb those down or ignore them. And it, it kind of becomes like a wishy-washy sort of conversation or practice of faith. But, but when we really embrace what we love, I think, about our own religious practice, I think that we're able to connect more authentically and even more deeply with people of another faith over the difference. Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's not one or the other. I think it's a it's a combination of both, right? So we we re- we embrace the fact that there are things that we have in common, um, while at the same time uh, recognizing there are differences as well.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I love Rachel what you're what you're saying about the communal aspect of culture because I think sometimes in our Western culture it's not even like. Our, it's like culture influencing faith almost where we have this hyper individualistic like perspective of how we're supposed to live life. So I just love that you brought that up because that's something I also admire about um, just Eastern culture in general. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that was really obvious when I had I had a baby born here and I had twins that were born in the United States. And so when the twins were born, I had this idea as an American that I have to do this by myself. Like I'm really independent and I can handle this, and I absolutely could not handle twins. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but um, takes a Then on, on right, and on this side of the ocean, I had one baby, and I had my mom come for over a month. I had the the landlord's wife who lived below us. She was helping. I had a housekeeper. I had a nanny. You know, I had all these friends around me that I relied on, and it was beautiful. And then even as the kids grew up, they had all these people around them. So not just in spiritual practice, but in life practice. And it does take a village and it's been a, a really wonderful thing to experience.
1: Yeah. So, and Rachel, so, um, you know, after you kind of had these experiences and uh, your paradigms are shifted a little bit, you, um, at some point you decided you needed to write this book. Um, and so I'm curious what was it that made you feel like you needed to to write this down in the book? What was your, what was your hope um, for people that might read the book? What, what were you hoping that people might get from it?
2: You know, I find so much fear and division when I go back to the United States and talk to people about Muslims in particular in Minneapolis, where I'm from, there's a large population of Somalis. And so it's not just Muslims, it's Somali Muslims. It's the people that I have spent all these years around and and I, I have literally spoken to American Christians who say, aren't you afraid every day that they're going to kill you? And I just, those kinds of questions that people still ask me, I feel like on the one hand, practically, I couldn't still be living there if I was actually afraid every day that they would kill me. But, but also, like, my kid's favorite elementary school teacher was a Somali Muslim woman, and she was amazing. The woman who caught my baby when, I, when she was born here, the midwife was a Somali Muslim woman. And so the first person to actually hold my baby was a Somali Muslim and it was beautiful. And so that the fear and the division that continues to be Mm -hmm. spoken about and believed and perpetuated, I I just feel tired of it, to be honest. Um, Mm. And the, I feel like it's even getting stronger in some ways, partly because of the way our nation is so divided in other areas right now, people are really locking down on their convictions and their communities without, being willing to reach out or recognize goodness in other communities. And so a lot of it just came out of that desire to show that um, it's possible to have a really fulfilling, meaningful life, even a life of a different faith in this context and that that it can be mutually beneficial, both for myself and for my friends as we both, you know, when you have different religious practices and you're practicing them alongside each other, you're sharpening each other. And I think we're both growing nearer to God or deepening our faith as we, as we have to examine our faith in the context of another person's understanding, if that makes sense. And so I just wanted to demonstrate um, and share my story of what that's looked like, where I came from, where I feel like I'm at now, and hopefully give people opportunity and tools for conversation, um, perspective about relationship and about that it's possible to find goodness. And to not be so afraid. So that's what I would love to see happen as people read the book, that they would um, use some of the questions that come up in it in conversation and to reach out to Muslims in their own community. Or Muslims to Christians, you know, both directions. Yeah, that's that's great.
1: No, I think that's, uh, that's really wonderful, Rachel, because I, I think that is uh, – I see the same thing, and um, I think I actually have a friend who lives near uh, that Somali family, uh, community that you're talking about. And uh, you're right. There is a whole lot of, um, and he's a Christian and there's a whole lot of assumptions made, a lot of fear based mostly on either the news or movies they've seen or, you know, other, like it doesn't come from direct experience and direct, you know, relationship and contact with actual mm-hmm. Muslim people. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think your book and, and your, your story and your testimony is really needed, very necessary because otherwise we end up with really distorted views of who Muslims are and what they're about and being able to humanize them and, and see them as, as human beings, help them help us understand, um, yeah, that they're, they're not all every day waking up and saying, how can I kill a Christian today?
2: (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Rachel, I'm, I'm loving everything that you just shared. It's so powerful and such a great reminder for all of us about just, how can we humanize others and how can we recognize that a lot of these fear-based narratives that we're believing are meant to perpetuate division and really are kind of a tool of, I don't know if you believe there is an enemy, then (laughs) a tool of the enemy to divide people. But um, when you say that your Muslim friends have led you closer to Jesus, uh, how would you describe that? Or what does that mean to you?
2: Hmm. A lot of it has come from watching the the way that Islam is an embodied faith. It's a very physical faith. Um, five times a day, I hear the call to prayer. And if people are willing, they will take time out of their day and they will physically bow, touch their forehead to the earth, you know, rise up again. Like it's, it's very physical again with the fast and uh, with the, Pilgrimage, um, there's tangible ways that they are visibly practicing their faith. So that made me, initially, I was very curious about that in Islam. And so, I, and I still am. I love um, watching the prayers. I love learning about the Hajj. But it also made me curious what in my own faith background have I maybe not known about that I could explore deeper about these practices? And so, You know, I had never really thought about a pilgrimage, for example. And so I went back and looked at a little bit of Christian pilgrimages. Um, I looked at the practice of Lent. I grew up in an evangelical Baptist church. And so Lent wasn't something that we ever engaged in. But I realized, oh, actually, my Christian faith does have a global communal practice of fasting. I just didn't know about it or engage in it.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And so in, in those ways, by looking at what... Muslims were doing that I that I valued and respected, I thought, what does my own faith tradition have to speak into this? Um, you know, also when they when they pray the Salat, they're reciting memorized words that they repeat each time. And so that made me think about the Lord's Prayer, which actually my church community here in Djibouti does recite the Lord's Prayer at the conclusion of each service. Sometimes it's in French, sometimes it's in English, sometimes it's in whatever language the people in the community are speaking. And um, and so and I didn't grow up doing that either, having a corporate memorized prayer. And so it was very easy for me before to judge those things, to to look at something that's practiced corporately or that's memorized, that's a ritual, and and find it less valuable. But once I saw those things practiced here, and then started to really think about them and embrace them in my own tradition. I came to really value that ritual, the tradition, the, the corporate nature of it, the global aspect of it. and so in, in ways like that, in my faith grew, and also when it, Somalis love to talk about spiritual things, and especially in Djibouti, faith and spirituality is very much a part of conversation you know on a regular basis. but I don't share the same convictions about all things as my friends do, and so when I was forced to explain. Why do I think this about God? Why do I think this about the Bible? What do I believe about Jesus? And I had to explain that to someone who didn't share that and had really no background, culturally even, in the same things. I had to look back at those things and be able to articulate it better. And so it forced me back into the Bible, back into my tradition to study it even more and be able to articulate it and appreciate it in deeper ways. And so in those ways, I just felt like I continued to experience Jesus in fresh ways and then was given practical tools for embodying my
0: faith. That's incredible. I love that because it's, um, yeah, it shows that kind of seeing how Muslims practice their faith caused you to want to go deeper in your own. I think um, that is such a beautiful testimony about, um, you know, why it's important and why it's a good thing to build relationships with those who think and believe differently from us.
2: Yeah. And in many ways, even I feel like the Bible itself has come alive for me because of the physical surroundings and some of the cultural practices that people have here. I think the United States is probably as far away from the culture of Jesus's time as you could get in terms of compared to here anyway. And so some of the ways, um, you know, I can look at a nomad walking with their sheep, and I can picture Jesus going after the lost sheep and leaving the 99. Um, And so some of the ways the imagery of the Bible have really come alive.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think sometimes because if we're American, and we're Christian, and we, we, we can begin even reading the Bible to sort of uh, Americanize in our imagination some of the things we're reading about or find it difficult to really relate to some of the, uh, the things that you know that aren't like American culture. So I could definitely see how being in that environment suddenly, yeah, you can see the parables that Jesus tells and you know the just even the, the lifestyle of the people at the time of Jesus. it's a lot more similar as you said to what you experienced there. Uh, In Somalia than maybe what you would say in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So do you, um, Rachel, what what words of advice would you have for other Christians, Christians who may be listening to this podcast? um, Any advice for them about how to build friendships across these sort of divides of, you know, reaching out or getting to know the other?
2: Yeah, so one of the things that I think about that sort of inspires me if it's a good word to use for this kind of life and relationships with people is the quote-unquote greatest commandment where Jesus says love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and then the second commandment of love your neighbor as yourself and all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments and so I encourage Christians to really love the Lord your God be all in be you know fiercely committed to and fully in love with with your faith with Jesus. Um don't be wishy-washy about that. But it has to be, it has to accompany love the neighbor as yourself. They aren't separated. Yeah. Those two come together. And so yes, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm committed to following him. But can I be so confident and so rooted in that that I'm not threatened by somebody else's faith? I'm not afraid of it. I'm not um you know, going to try to force anything, but that I want to engage on spiritual things together because I love my neighbor. And when we are loving our neighbor, we're not urging them to conform to being like us. We are loving them like I, like I shared about with my Muslim friends as we're both um, ex- trying to explain our faith to each other. We're growing closer to God as we explore our faith together. And so love, I feel like a real sincere love is two-way. It's reciprocal, and so neighboring and loving our neighbor goes two ways. It's not just me loving my neighbor, but one of the ways that I love my neighbor is by letting my neighbor love me also and neighbor Mm -hmm. me. Um, So, I think about the the Good Samaritan, and and there's a wounded man lying on the road to Jericho. The spiritual people pass him by. The Good Samaritan comes along, and he is a good neighbor. To this wounded man and so often i think christians think that we're the good samaritan we're the ones neighboring we're the ones loving the person on the the road who needs us but i i think we need to put ourselves in the position of being the wounded man the one who is neighbored, the one who is loved by somebody else even the outsider and so um in that that idea of loving our neighbor as ourself we also need to be neighbored and let them serve us, let them love us, let them welcome us. And in that way, we're returning the love back. Like it's a, it's a circle that goes around, if that makes sense. Um, You know, when Mm -hmm. someone, when someone does something loving for us, we want to respond with, you know, hugging them or thanking them, or in some way returning the love back to them. And so in terms of being able to, or willing to love a Muslim Or develop a relationship with a Muslim or a Christian. If you're a Muslim, um, I think that thinking about ways that we can let them serve us, thinking about ways that we can love them well, all under this umbrella of of really being committed to our own faith and loving God. um, That's maybe that doesn't sound very practical, but but to me it is. (laughs) I think developing our own faith and then reaching out in love to others and letting our needs be known also. No, I love that,
1: actually. You know, I, I'm so glad you said that because that, that's actually something um, I feel like God has been showing me as well. Um, you know, the, we focus so much on, uh, you know, the importance of, you know, Jesus saying, you know, we should love God and, and love others. But uh, what I started recognizing was that if I don't allow God to love me and if I don't allow others to love me, I'm kind of breaking that cycle. Like, um, I, in other words, I'm not allowing you to to keep that command to love me. If I don't allow, if I don't learn how to receive your love. And so that's one of the hardest things I think for us is um, learning how to receive love. Well, and, and that, that's a wonderful, wonderful discipline. I think that's wonderful advice.
2: Yes. You said it very well. Yes. I'm helping you to fill that command. Yep.
0: Well, this has been awesome, Rachel. And um, how can our listeners get in touch with you or how can they, where can they check out more about your book and your work? So my website is
2: my name. It's Rachel Pie Jones, Pie with an H at the end. RachelPieJones.com. and I'm on all the social media: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, with that same handle. And so you can find me there. The book is for sale um, via Amazon and via Plow Publishing.
1: Wow! Yeah, thank you, Rachel. That was so wonderful, so good. Um, what an amazing. What an amazing conversation and what an amazing experience Rachel had in uh, Djibouti. That was incredible.
0: Yeah. You know, it is it is incredible because I love, I, I think I'm so impacted by how Rachel allowed herself to go through that kind of process of transformation. Well, I guess she didn't really have much of a choice, but, <laughs> but you know, that she didn't kind of... Uh, but I feel like you could still have exit ramps that you create for yourself to take out of um, going through that kind of transformational journey through friendship and through relationship, but allowing herself to be in community authentically and um, gain a new perspective on, on her Muslim neighbors. Yeah.
1: And you know what? I've had many similar conversations with people like Rachel who you know, have, have entered the mission field with, with a certain mindset of what missions is like and what they're supposed to be doing. And, and then when they get over to another country, um, and they encounter people of other faiths, it really does. I mean, I mean, again, I've heard similar, um, stories from other people, very similar to racials, uh, where they do have this sort of shift of like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, I thought these were, you know, God hating pagans and, and there was, you know, I'm coming to rescue them from their darkness. And they, what you end up discovering is, wow, they they got, they're way ahead of us in uh, in many ways when it comes to hospitality and you know kindness and uh, you know just in so many ways. You, it sort of really stops and shakes you and just kind of shifts your paradigm a little bit. Like, well, hang on a minute, what what am I doing and what's going on here? Um, and how it, I guess, what I'm fascinating with is that. Quite often, you know, as missionaries, but I think even sometimes just as Christians in, you know, here in America, living our, our daily lives, when we encounter, um, we kind of go into those situations like we're going to go feed the homeless, or we're going to, um, or we're going to try and evangelize, you know, maybe at work or something like that, and and when we, you know, we come in with this mindset that oh, we're going to change them, and then what ends up happening is that the Holy spirit kind of changes us Yes. and more exactly. than more than we've changed
0: them, they've, we've been changed. And that's actually really beautiful. Exactly. That, yes, that is the key. And I think we do kind of have this like kind of imperialistic mindset sometimes with, you know, service or missions or whatever it may be, even peacemaking, you know, we're going to come in and teach you how to be, <laughs> how to be peaceful and, um, I think, you know, what's so cool about her story, too, is that um, kind of like what you were saying earlier, Keith, that it was her Muslim friends, like their practice of their faith that caused her to get closer to Jesus. <laughs> like, I, you know, and I think um, we have so much to learn from other groups of people, from other religious groups, from other socioeconomic groups, from other ethnic groups about who God is and. Um, how we can be in relationship with him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And actually that, that's the stuff that really uh, stood out to me in our conversation with Rachel. And she was kind of sharing, you know, um, you know, she talked about, you know, the ability uh, to recognize goodness in other people and other faiths and other cultures and how the Muslims there in Djibouti led her to Jesus, which is so fascinating that Mm -hmm. You know, she came to lead them to Jesus and instead they led her to Jesus. Yeah. Um in, in a way she didn't I mean obviously did not expect. And and just uh with as she said sort of this very physical practice of their faith, like it their faith seemed to be more integrated into their lives than than hers was and, and people that she knew back in America and their devotion to God, their uh the ways that they practiced their faith in such simple and beautiful uh, practical ways. Uh, and it's so wonderful. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, you know, she, she said, um, well, the sort of the standout quote, right, was she says, one of the ways that I love, she, she said, what I learned was that one of the ways I can love my neighbors is by allowing my neighbors to love me. And that wow. is so powerful.
0: That is, yes, that is so powerful. And because we really do when we can, allow ourselves to experience community with people who are different from us, then we open up our hearts and our minds to to get that, to experience that kind of transformational learning and, and growth and understanding of God that goes deeper and, and wider and bigger than we could have, um, could have imagined. And it, it does require, I think, kind of letting go of our fears because... Um, You know, maybe we're afraid that, I don't know, there's all kinds of fears that can come up, um, right? Especially when we're maybe entering into community with people who have different religious beliefs. We might be afraid that, oh no, are we going to be like accidentally converted or something (laughs) like that? (laughs) Um, But as we can see from Rachel's story, like the complete opposite happened. Um, And I think it's just such a beautiful testament of, yeah interfaith friendships and and coming together and recognizing that by growing closer with each other it doesn't weaken our faith but it actually strengthens it
1: yeah absolutely yeah i mean you know she she had another statement about how when she stopped judging other traditions and judging their rituals and their way of life uh, and their the practice of their faith when she said, she said when i stopped doing that her faith grew and mm-hmm. That's such a key thing. I think it's such an important thing. Um, and how? And I, I think this is also something that she said: that loving your neighbor doesn't insist that they have to be like you. And um, that is so important. I mean, I, I've learned this uh, in over several years. You know, uh, of some things I've gone through of recognizing that that unity and um, fellowship and friendship and connection with other people um, doesn't demand sort of uniformity like we don't have to agree Uh, I mean I think now I was raised to think that I mean the the, my the Christian groups I was raised in growing up the churches I grew up in that was very much the assumption right to be a member of our church you had to all agree we all all had to agree with the statement of faith and and then if you ever changed your statement of faith you know on something and you changed your mind about something well then you need to leave go find Mm -hmm. another church go down the road or something because because Our unity was based on this sort of agreement. Mm -hmm. But what I've discovered and what I've experienced, you know, over the last maybe 10 or 11 years, or maybe, gosh, probably 15 years, is um, that actually, I mean, I don't don't agree with that at all anymore. I don't think we have to have unity at all. And I think actually it's so much better. We have to develop a capacity as followers of Jesus. If we're going to obey his commands to love others as he loved us, we have to embrace this idea that Rachel was saying that, Loving our neighbor doesn't insist they become like us. So we have to learn to love people who think differently than us. And we have to allow them to think differently than us. We have to say it's okay if we don't agree on everything. And if I can't learn to love someone who's a little different from me, then I'm not going to be very successful loving my neighbor. I mean, because everyone around us is a little different, right? Um, the, The ways that we learn and mature and grow as human beings is that we learn how to sit in the presence of people who might think a little differently and we don't attack them or judge them or try to prove them wrong, but mm-hmm. we listen to them. And it doesn't mean, again, like you were saying, I accidentally got converted because I just, you know, uh, I, I released relinquished all my personal convictions and just conform myself to whoever I was sitting with. No, we don't do that either. And I don't think, you know, right. human beings, we, we're not going to do that. So, you know, we shouldn't right. be threatened by yes. – people who have other ideas, and, and, you know, you might learn something in the process.
0: Absolutely, and, you know, it kind of, I think what you're saying is so important, because there is so much diversity, even, like you're saying, within the Christian community, and if we were to kind of try to become, I think that's probably a lot of the issue, actually, with, um, like, the big C church, is trying to achieve uniformity, Mm -hmm. as opposed to unity, and, you know, our Peace Catalyst uh, president and director, um, Martin Brooks, always makes that distinction that unity is looks different than uniformity. Uniformity is trying to all be the same. And like you said, be in this boring um, kind of hell <laughs> where everyone thinks the same way. But unity is actually different people, you know, having different ideas, different um theological persuasions and still being unified in this idea of God created everyone in his image and, and loves everyone and therefore, you know, calls us to love everyone as, as ourselves. And so how can, we, um, how can we have unity in that, um, regardless of whatever different, you know, theological beliefs we may have? Yeah, no,
1: it's, it's exactly right. And that's what you know, I'm really excited about. The Peace Catalyst podcast is because we have an opportunity to, you know, showcase and present um, experiences like Rachel's and uh, let people kind of share their own personal stories of how they learn these lessons in very practical ways. Um, they allowed the Holy Spirit, really, in those situations to um, very gently soften their heart or change their mind or open their eyes, however you want to express it, um, about some of these assumptions. And in, and in doing so, as Rachel says, um, it actually ends up strengthening your faith in Christ in, in the process. And you start understanding a little more of like, oh, okay, I think this is kind of what Jesus meant, you know, when you can kind of now understand like this is why Jesus, you know, uh, went out of his way to go through Samaria and sit and talk to the Samaritan woman, even though Jewish people and Samaritan people were uh, at odds with one another and didn't like each other, and um, right. and so you see him modeling this, uh, you know. And then when he does have a conversation with the Samaritan woman, it's one that's filled with with grace and compassion, um, and 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 yeah. So and it ends up impacting that whole village. But it's um it's such an important thing, you know, for us to I guess learn this, and I guess maybe. If, one of the things that I that I see in this uh, in Rachel's experience and what we're talking about right now is the importance. I guess it's a, I guess it maybe it's like a humility uh, of recognizing yeah. that we don't have all the answers. Because I think typically, like we were saying at the beginning, um, you know, we as much as missionaries or as Christians, uh, we tend to go in to fix people or change people. We got the answers and we're going to change them, and and that's kind of um, I know we don't intend it to be, we, we don't, we don't maybe realize it is, but it's a little, um, arrogant. And, yes. and then what we end up in, we end up in these situations again, where I really believe the Holy spirit puts us in these situations where we are suddenly humbled and we were like, Oh, wait a minute. Oh my gosh. I guess I don't have all the answers. I guess I have something I could learn from them. Right. And um, again, that goes back to that quote of, um, you know, loving your neighbor, uh, one of the ways you love your neighbor is about allowing your neighbor to love you. But again, that you it, it's opening yourself up. Like if I'm going to let someone love me, I have to be vulnerable and honest and um, recognize that I do have something I need and something that I can learn and something, you know? And so, yeah, I think engaging in that place, I guess that's just a really important step. I think in the process of just admitting we don't have all the answers, we don't know everything, um, we have lots to learn from other people. And if we can get to that spot, then we shouldn't be surprised if we do learn from other people.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's like, if that requires faith, I think that grows our faith and stretches our faith. And I think that's the kind of, yeah, the kind of, you know, great faith that we can, that we can have, that we can practice when we're going out of our comfort zone, um, to, To love and be loved by our our different neighbors.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you, you a minute ago, you had said something about fear, and um, that's also something Rachel uh, recognized. So she goes to Djibouti. She has this this experience. She's has her paradigm shifted. She realizes, wow, these people uh, are leading me to Jesus as I'm allowing them to love me and and embrace me as someone from the outside. And then she. But then she says, I think she says she went back to her church um, in, in Minneapolis and she was now, now was seeing the contrast because again, their mindset is Muslims are, they're all violent and, and Muslims want to impose Sharia law, which involves killing the infidel, which is a Christian and they all want to kill you and they all want to, they all hate you. And, and so she encountered in her own, when she went back to her own community where she where she initially felt safe, right and and like right. I'm with you guys. Yep. She came back to them all of a sudden, and then she was recognizing. Oh wait a minute, they they still have so much of the same assumptions mm-hmm. that I might have carried with me over there. And then now she has a chance to um, speak back into them and say, yes. well, no, they're beautiful people. They they're yep. wonderful people. In fact, to even let them see and know that these people. Um, they don't hate me. In fact, they embrace me. They welcome me yeah. into their home, into their family. They've taken care of me. You know, they've, they've been very patient with me and, and shown me uh, love and they're not trying to kill me, you know, like so. it's right. you know, sort of healing the, these, these cultures as well.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's so critical to our roles as peacemakers is how can we share those experiences with the people around us and kind of invite them into the same, um, kind of journey of of new gaining understanding and respect for those who we may see as um, yeah as other or even as an enemy, um, but when we do when we ourselves are willing to let go of our fears and move push past them and step out of our comfort zones, and we get to experience that kind of um, transformational journey that uh, Rachel experienced, then our job as peacemakers is to go and, and invite others into that and share that with more people. So I think that's so cool. Yeah. It has a kind of multiplication effect. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. And I, what I was really fascinated about was, um, it's kind of almost like a reversal in some ways of, um, because, you know, so Rachel's talking about how she as an American Christian from Minneapolis goes to Djibouti and she feels like an alien. She feels like a stranger. She doesn't know anybody there. She doesn't understand the customs. She feels really alone. And, um, and then what really blessed her and, and helped her, and it was even part of this transformational process she under underwent was this, the, the incredible sense of welcome that she experienced from the Somalian people there who were Muslims. Right. And mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I think she says they, they were able to love someone who was different. And it made me think, wow. It's like when you experience now that going in, so you as an American Christian going to a Somalian um, Muslim culture, you, you know what it feels like to feel different and, and yeah. strange and, and uh, confused and unwelcome.
0: Right.
1: And then how desperately you need that to be welcomed, and to be accepted and all that. And then you experience this beautiful welcome from the Muslims there. And, and then now all of a sudden it's like, huh, I wonder if that's how Muslims in Minneapolis feel mm-hmm. right. <laughs> back where I'm from. So, and, and obviously they must feel that because like, you know, even when you go and talk to Christians there, they're telling you that they think Muslims hate them and want to kill them and blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, Wow, we, we as a culture, if you expand it, right, kind of expand it beyond Rachel's individual experience to so like just sort of groups of Muslims now in America, they feel just the way she did when she was in, in, in Djibouti. Yeah. Um, and they just as much need to feel and experience, you know, the love of Jesus through us. Like, right. and, and that would happen only if we would do to them what the Muslims did to Rachel, yes. which would be to, to invite them into our homes. And listen to their stories, and get to know them, and see them as human beings, and right, and just be able to see them and know them and welcome them. Right. It, it would be a very similar experience, and again, this is kind of what peace catalyst is all about—just trying to help us as Christians recognize um, that this is actually doing that is part of following Jesus. It's part of being people that learn to love, um, you know, people that are made in the image of God, and people that God loves, we love them too, and uh, not to see people as the other, people on the outside, uh, which is, again, part of Rachel's story, and I really appreciate that.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and Spotify. And for more information about Peace Catalyst and to help support our peacebuilding work, please visit our website at peacecatalyst.org.